The global fashion industry is in crisis. Jobs have been cut, stores closed, orders cancelled, legacy retailers placed in liquidation and receivership. The pandemic hasn't been kind to any business, and some of the biggest names in fashion are being humbled in the very same ways as the smallest local retailers. In New Zealand, government wage subsidies and business funding scheme loans have been rolled out to assist struggling companies across every sector. But in a market the size of New Zealand, it's easy to see where brands could fall through the cracks once the dust settles and the recession bites. So what can brands do to survive? 10 years ago, Ingrid Starnes and her partner Simon Pound started their own women's wear label, Ingrid Starnes, and have grown it to become synonymous with an idealistic New Zealand-made and New Zealand-owned philosophy. And it's worked. From the early days where stockists in the media clamoured to get a piece of the label, Ingrid has quietly gone about piecing together collections that are considered beautifully structured and ethical. Sorry, my fucking cat just walked in. What no, do you want? That was, a, that was a sounding yeah. good. Okay. We'll start again. Stop meowing, you egg. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Get out in the mix. She's going to be with us. Okay. <laughs> Their fans are sensitive, artistic, and forward-thinking, and have helped build the company up to an enviable size. But COVID-19 has been as ruthless on New Zealand's fashion industry as any other, and brands like Ingrid Starnes have had to dig deep to explore every option to not only survive, but to thrive once the pandemic settles. Here to discuss the future of the company and an innovative, pragmatic, and community-spirited pathway to survival are Simon Pound and Ingrid Starnes. Welcome, both of you, to Fashion and Focus. Hi, thanks Hi. for having us. thanks for having us. Uh-huh. And we can see your cat crawling on your shoulder on the, yeah. the video that no one else can yeah. see. <laughs> my lucky, my lucky listeners don't get to see my cat crawling all over me and almost derailing this entire podcast. But here we are. <laughs> the magic of podcasts. The magic. Hey, so thanks for putting some time aside, guys, uh, to talk to me today. I know that things must be pretty hectic in um, Ingrid Stan's HQ, uh, family-wise, staff-wise, and business-wise too. But I thought you could. Uh, fill us in and, and kind of paint a bit of a picture of the Ingrid Starnes brand, uh, not only in the past 10 years, but really take us back to the beginning, why you started the label and what your outlook was too, because you just came in post GFC uh, and what some of those early years were like. Um, I guess it all started 10 years ago when I'd, um, after having the kids, I'd always been a creator and a maker. I'd gone to AUT and studied fashion and I really loved it. Um, I don't know if I was like the top student or amazing while I was there because I often felt that when I was there, I didn't want to make things in front of people. I was quite shy and mm. I'd do a lot of my making at home and sort of sneak off and design things and come in and people mm. be like, oh, wow. And it's a bit like, oh, are you really doing that? Is that you? But yeah. yeah, so I guess in saying that I went from studying at AUT, I left and for a few years, I think there was a year there I was hoping that I would start my own label and it was very naive. I had a few things in Ripton Bust and tried to sort of make things work and that didn't happen. And then I applied for a job at, that was at Kate Sylvester at the time and I worked there for three years. It was an amazing experience. Um, it was, I started as a junior workroom, had a maker and jun, junior designer 
um, and sort of worked my way up into very much in the workroom situation. I was intermediate pattern maker and still contributing to design mm. right through. And, and then during that time, I met my partner, now husband, Simon, and we, I was, um, got pregnant with twins and left to have the twins. I think I left and had like three days off and then had them, hoping that I'd have like a month and a half. Mm. Um, during that time, it was pretty full on. But I think even during that time of having the twins, I was still constantly making and sewing. Yeah, I think I think what we kind of looked at it was like Ingrid had this amazing style and everything that she'd make for herself. People would stop us on the street and say, mm. wow, that's amazing. Where, you, where did you get it from? And we were kind of used to being tired and poor because we <laughs> had these little twins and um, thought, you know, we may as well start something rather than go back to um, working for someone else and not have that ability to kind of have family at the center of what we were doing. And mm. I think we were also really inspired by Kate and Wayne and they had this thing where um, one of them was there to pick up the kids from school uh, and one of them was working. And it kind of seemed like because of the all consuming nature of fashion, doing it for yourself was, seemed more sensible than doing it working for somewhere else where there's those hours around sampling and that kind of mm. demand. And mm. so, yeah, we, um, we, we, we made the jump without really knowing what it was going to take. I think during that time, I did have a lot of energy and my energy was kind of maybe starting to go into the, not the wrong things, but, you know, I probably would have ended up like bottling a thousand things and sewing and doing all this stuff. And it was just like, I had that creative urge. I really wanted to always make beautiful things and wear them all the time and work with beautiful fabrics. So, and Simon was just like, you've got to do this. You've got to start this label or we just got to start somewhere. Don't make it, don't think of it being too big because mm. for me, I put so many roadblocks up having mm. had worked at Kate's Vista and knowing, mm. you know, that bigger picture was so daunting and it was just like to start with that small collection and make some beautiful pieces. Yeah. Even the biggest companies, like, I mean, the biggest ones in New Zealand that we can think of, let alone the biggest ones around the world, they all started with a single garment somewhere. Mm. Someone had to sew one thing first you know, I mean, Karen Walker's story always comes back to a pair of trousers that she she made and sold and then made another pair and sold those, you know, like it's it is quite whimsical, but that's how that's how it goes. You know, I mean, my yeah. business started with one client and we made one phone call and we that was us starting, you know. Yeah. And Ingrid, I don't know if you you might have forgotten us telling you this, but when you were at AUT, you were part of the very, very first rookie program. And we had your garments up in our showroom in High Street. And we, we had them showcased during Fashion Week one year. And of all of the brands, and sorry, not even the brands, of all of the designs and the items hanging on that rack, your items kept getting focused in on time after time after time. And this is when Fashion Week was entertaining quite a lot of international media and buyers too. And they kept going to your product. Who's this? Who's this by? Where's this from? Where can I buy this? And I was like, it's a prototype <laughs> from a student, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you always, um, had, you always had it in you. Yeah, it was so cool. I just I revisited that actually because of, sadly, with Fashion Quarterly, mm. going up my, one of my biggest, like, most amazing, proudest moments when I was at AUT and just, you know, being that young was that one of the dresses that was in the showroom got picked out and taken on a shoot. And that was mm. just so massive and huge for me. I remember just, yeah, so great. Yeah. yeah. And so guys, tell us about, you know, once you got things up and running 
and I know this is kind of winding your your minds back. Maybe Simon, you can pick this up because I know at the time that the business was really buzzing, you'd of course come into this industry outside of fashion. I think you'd had some time with maybe Murray Crane and Little Brother and brands like that, but you were really looking at this from a little bit of an outsider's point of view. And I remember your energy being really, really raw and awesome because you were like, we could do this and I'm just going to do it like this and it's going to work. And I was like, my brother, <laughs> go for it. That's not how anyone else does it. But if you think you can do it that way, then let's, let's go, you know? So what were the early years like and, and especially focusing on your community and how you started to build that? Cause that's been such an important part of your brand. Yeah. Well, I think like, um, the first couple of years, because Ingrid, um, was never kind of someone that wanted to stand in the store and talk to customers, like is, is really like quite a kind of, um, behind the scenes and about the construction and the, the make, um, more than kind of being a hardcore salesperson or anything. And so the first few years, it was kind of me on the shop floor. And so mm. we started the brand like by, um, we started it by, well, you were one of our first phone calls actually, um, mm. came in for you and press mm. was always at the real heart of it. Um, a story that came um, through you in Fashion Quarterly meant that we had, um, we got our first stockist. So I remember um, we got that Fashion Quarterly issue and it was like page 57, there was a profile on Ingrid. And so I rang every um, boutique in the country that had kind of brands that we liked in it and said, hey, have you got the Fashion Quarterly? Pick it up, go to page 57. Right, that's Ingrid. We'd like to send you the range. <laughs> Can mm. we, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a sales trip. Can we come and see you in, um, in a couple of weeks? And that's so how we, it works. And we, um, yeah, we, we, we went around and drove up and down the country together and visited all of these stores. Um, mm. But the way we really grew up was through, um, yeah, like just relationships, like relationships with those mm. stockists. We were on the phone to them all the time. And then um, partnerships and, and collaboration. So uh, Miss Crab uh, on Ponsonby Road, Christine was a great friend. And um, we went in there uh, really early on, one year into the business, and actually shared her store for a period. Uh, mm. It was just after the last uh, global financial crisis. Um, lots of retailers, just like now, were looking at kind of um, new ways that they could make things um, make better sense financially and also share the energy and the, um, the difficulty of keeping people mm. coming in and keeping it kind of lively as a, as an enterprise. Mm. And so we had a really lovely kind of um, period of sharing store with her, learned a lot about retail from that, met a lot of customers. And then from that, um, uh, other great friends of ours, um, Ellie uh, at Tasuti, um, we went in with Ellie and Harriet, uh, her daughter, and we partnered with them and actually shared the store with Tasuti for a couple of years after that. So That's right. right, right from the beginning, um, yeah, we, we, we did it by kind of like working really closely with people and just kind of meeting customer by customer. Mm. A lot of and surprised women when a guy was in the store selling them frocks. Yeah. And what have been some of the milestones that stick out in your minds, apart from those first FQ moments, which have obviously been close to your heart? And, and it's, it's, it's great to hear how those seemingly small moments can actually, you know, really push brands into believing in themselves and, and succeeding. Um, what about some of those other moments? I know you've taken part in fashion week before you've done some pretty amazing little, uh, community shows in the CBD walking models down cobbled lanes in the pouring rain. What are some, what are some of the things that have stuck out for you over the past decade? Yeah, those are all like really special moments. And also I think it's the sometimes just walking along the street and seeing someone amazing in your clothes or, mm something you don't know and that feeling of like, wow, and seeing it in a way that you would, yeah, those, that's, that's a really humbling 
special moment for me. I really, yeah, have looked mm. back and like in so, Kyoto that time. Remember yeah, that? yeah, that, that's been pretty cool. Yeah, we were, we were in Kyoto and a woman walked past just looking really cool wearing um, wearing a top and, um, and and the print. And it was like, wow, that's yeah. that's just the dream, you know? And just yeah. also hearing feedback, I think, too, from customers about what a garment has meant to them and how special and how great they feel in it. And, yeah, I think those sorts of things have really stuck in yeah stuck mm. it yeah stuck it with mm. me and, and the um, nice thing about the rhythms of fashion is mm. like you've got the opening of every season and so you get to have an event where you see your friends and the kind of community around mm. the business and there have mm. been so many of those um those shows like you mentioned fashion week um they were so cool like they worked with us really early on we were only two years into the um the business and um and they had um ingrid open uh fashion week and do, yeah, do the opening show and it was a real vote of confidence and, and, and really lifted it up. And yeah, like you mentioned with the O'Connell Street shows down the middle of O'Connell Street, working with Heart of the City to close the street mm. and do a catwalk coming out of the little Vulcan Lane store. Those nights were yeah, just so special. Yeah, I also think it's all the collaborations, like all the people you work with to have mm. that show and like with you guys and all the makeup artists and the you know production teams and all the things that go into it. That's quite amazing seeing how all that side of it Absolutely. And I think some of these podcasts and our fashion and focus series last year was meant to embrace that community a bit more. I think fashion has set itself up to be relatively elitist most of the time. And, you know, designers are untouchable and you can't talk to them and you, you don't ever think that you'll hear back from them and you'd never even see them. And, you know, and also the marketing of fashion, I suppose, is, is positioned to um, make products seem hyper real and almost like they haven't touched human hands, they've just appeared out of nowhere looking incredible. But the movement recently has been to pull all of those curtains down and say, actually, this is the heartbeat of how fashion comes together and these are the people behind it. And I think community has been, of all of the the brands right now who are talking about community, not to say that it's disingenuous, but I think there's a handful of brands in New Zealand who have always done it. And I think of of your generation, you've been one of those ones who partly because you've had to, you know, it's it's taken the community to to raise Ingrid Starnes. Yeah. But um, I think it's been one of those things that's propelled you forward. And we'll get to your uh, your crowdfunding idea in a moment. But of course, that's that's kind of the ultimate community moment where you say, guys, we need to stick together and, and, and get together on this. Yeah. Um, it's always been a super family thing. Like the yeah. first few years of the business, because we did have the twins and then Gertie, and so the workroom was at home and the kids were there the whole mm. time. Yeah. And so any media or, um, you, you know, any, any suppliers or anyone in the industry, stylists who pop by to pick something up, were coming into mm. a family environment. I and, also think, mm. yeah, the team and how diverse their roles are of like holding a baby or doing <laughs> something to, you know, mm. they're part of the family, all right. Even some of your content recently, Ingrid, during this lockdown has been you creating a pattern on the kitchen table using lemons to hold down oh, your no. pattern making paper You're real. one <laughs> of the most Ingrid Starnes images I've ever I've ever seen and when you talked about like the community and fashion like I think maybe because we always like had young kids and were kind of like straight into the family zone even though we were really young we were like 24 25 20, 20 24 25 when we had the kids and then like that's pretty early to be kind of in family life and so all of our interactions with like um with with the kind of fashion community have been just 
you know, so great and everyone's been so welcoming mm. and we've found it a really lovely kind of um, collegial environment. Yeah. And mm. all of those moments, like Ingrid was saying, with like working with the photographers and the creatives and our team to make these like beautiful images. And if we're thinking about the highlights, mm. like so many of them oh, are those great so images across the years yeah. that kind of capture what, what we're and up to. The, and, yeah, the collaborations with artists, all the photographers we've worked with. And yeah, I just think that's just, though, some of those are actually the most exciting parts is when you do go off to create a campaign. You know, it seems so decadent right now, doing <laughs> a, going off to do some extravagant campaign, but that is just the, that's just the best creating that yeah. story with <laughs> great like working with such cool people. And we've yeah. done things like um yeah. do the Tongariro crossing, uh, go, go up to the Tongariro crossing. Yeah, I've gone down to Gisborne for an overnight shoot to get the um the all current. of us and our beautiful people mover and <laughs> all crammed in the back like eight of us. Out, out, really out to cool. the great Earlies um garden in yeah. um in Whitford and yeah, they're, they're all these kind of like magic memories really. Yeah. Mm. So coming into 2020, I kind of felt like the industry was was wobbling a little bit beforehand. And I'm sure that you guys were probably feeling like, you know, it might be one of those years to batten down the hatches and none of us quite saw what was about to happen. Um, tell us what was on the cards, because I know you had a couple of pretty big projects, one of which was Commercial Bay. Um about to happen and you'd rolled out a special um, design and make idea. Tell mm. us about some of those things that you'd just embarked on uh, before lockdown uh, curtailed a few of those moments. Yeah. So um, just the start of this year, we've, we've been working a little bit on really defining the brand. We've sort of for the last 10 years been on this journey of making beautiful clothes and you know all about sort of design and that and we just didn't really have our store like our real a really strong story and with a recent trip to America we saw we went to a um a massive outlet sort of store uh, area and there was just all these bags overflowing on this um what was the brand that I can't even remember some brand overflowing on a trolley it was just and they were meant to be this high-end special brand it just felt mm. like there was so much of everything and we've never made lots of anything anyway of big units and it sort of it was it sort of came dawned on Simon it was like yeah I think I think we hit this year really excited like um we at the end of last year we had the opportunity to go into Commercial Bay, and they've been really amazing. The the developers there they decided that they wanted to have some of these smaller New Zealand um, companies. So in terms of their hospitality offering, they worked really hard to get some restaurants and some options there that weren't like you know the big chains that you'd normally find in a um, in a shopping development. And then they also worked with like us and You May and Twenty Seven Names and Altair. Um, skincare to get some like small but like essentially New Zealand brands that could live inside this um, big, uh, big big development alongside H&M and Coz and all of these big, you know, Tommy Hilfiger and stuff. And so they came um, with this really cool idea of having a New Zealand lane. And, and we loved the idea and we just kind of thought we've never had a big foot traffic store and there's these four towers of all of these professionals above who, you know, a lot of them are our clients, you know, really interesting lawyers and people working in kind of the professional services area. Um, we're we're going to be there. And we thought, you know, this could be cool. Um, and then we looked at what it would mean for the business. And that meant that we could actually kind of increase our numbers uh, and kind of hit a scale where we could become, become a bit more profitable. And that's kind of the scale where you often see brands go overseas 
and mm. start making things like cheaper because they've got the volume and it makes sense. And we went on the trip, um, trip, trip, trip to get married. And we looked at like a whole lot of retail and it just felt so mm. same. Like mm. you see the same brands with the same stores well, with the same stuff. traveling everywhere that we've, you know, between when we've been to Japan and I don't know, all these big department stores and everything. You just see the same stuff everywhere. And mm. it's great and it's still amazing. And I love that retail experience, but it was just like, ah, oh, it's too much. Mm. It's too much. Of, I know. think the industry in, in general over the past 10 years has seen, has moved towards, and it's almost, um, created a bit of an education within the consumer and it's it's almost um, enticed the consumer to land in any city around the world and expect to see the same stores and the same logos you walk into the stores they feel the same they look the same the lighting's the same the collections are the same it's this feeling of familiar familiarity mm. like you're coming home you know it's like watching yeah. a nostalgic children's show when you're 30 or 40 and it still makes you smile because that's where your fondest memories were built yeah. and and i think that in the last 2 to 3 years we've really seen that switch to more unique uh, experiential retail smaller scale um, ESOP do it really well. They build mm. stores in places yeah. with local architects using local materials and local vernaculars. And that, I think, has started to permeate a larger, broader range of fashion. Um, and, and what Commercial Bay were trying to do, even though um, you know people could, ref could look at what used to be in that space and think, is it going to be another downtown shopping centre? it'll be far from it. There won't be a McDonald's and a Harbour Eats, you know, and the way that they've created that little Queen Street space that you guys are going into has been incredibly well put together. There's a lot of research into how things have been done overseas, even to the flooring and the um, critical windows that have been put together and, and, and that kind of thing. They really wanted to make it a special space that stood apart from, from big brand and many major retail. Well, we thought it was super, yeah, really interesting. And it was the kind of retail that we'd seen overseas that was likely to be interesting. Mm. But yeah, like where we landed was that we didn't actually want to start making stuff overseas and increase our numbers and get our costs down by, you know, screwing the workers or whatever, um, which is, you know, basically what happens when you go into um, big, bigger volumes overseas. You're getting a saving somewhere and it's cheaper labor costs uh, because, Fashion is an incredibly labor and human intensive process, you know. So we looked at it and went, no, we, we think there's enough stuff being made. There's too much stuff being made. We'd prefer to kind of like consciously limit the amount of stuff we're making and use that as a way to shine a light on the design decisions, the creativity that goes into the garments. Collaborations, the, collab the prints. Yeah. 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 What, what makes them special? And so that was where we saw all these luxury brands, but nothing was special because it's all mass produced. And it's basically so much of the fashion landscape is, you know, premium brands, but with fast fashion values. Uh, and mm. we just kind of thought it would be really cool to like solidify what we've always done with yeah. our limited runs and our collaborations into this idea of being a limited edition brand that only makes things in editions of one for made to measure or bridal or of no more than a hundred for uh, seasonal pieces and then number them like artist editions. Uh, mm. So people can know that what they have is special and consciously limited. And so we were, we were really excited about this mm. idea and about the concept of the store. And we signed up in November um, and then kind of extended ourselves to do the fit out and get everything kind of going. And between November and the store opening, the entire world changed and having mm. a really beautiful, um, retail store in a 
busy retail mall went from the cleverest thing you could do as a brand to, to what now sounds yeah. like the craziest thing you could dream of. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So 2020 has been uh, flipped upside down for you and so many other people and, and companies around the world. Um, I won't get into how the pandemic's affected your business in minute detail because I don't want to see both of you cry. But <laughs> needless to say, the industry has been shaken, really, really shaken. And, you know, talking to small, medium and, and large size brands, people to, quite honestly don't know what to do. Uh, the play, there is no playbook for this. There's no, oh, we've been here before. This is how you build out of it. Even talking to brands and designers and company directors who have been through financial crisis before, not like this, you know. Yeah. So anyway, cut to your new uh, initiative and the Ingrid Starnes uh, pledge me and, uh, and I'll get you to, to talk about it in more detail now. But uh, to me, it seems like an incredibly thoughtful idea um, that is really relying on your community. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's getting people to put their money where their mouths are, speaking about community, uh, supporting each other. And if you're in for the arts and you love New Zealand made, New Zealand owned businesses, this, there's something here for you. So tell us about how that came about and, and how people can get involved. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty interesting kind of um, journey. Journey for sure. <laughs> is, like yeah. you know, as a as a pre premium you know brand, you know, because it's made locally and they're beautiful fabrics and they're made with such care. You know, it it is quite a high price point, so mm. it's a premium brand. Um, you know, we've always loved this idea of crowdfunding, but it feels so funny to you know be projecting this thing of kind of aspirational premium. But we're a small business. We're a small New Zealand business. We We've grown because our suppliers and the people we work with have given us payment terms to allow That's us to grow. Um, mm -hmm. We've grown because our community of customers has got bigger. We've grown through collaboration. Like we certainly haven't got kind of the the, the capital or the the backing of these you know brands that are also in the premium space. You know these big international brands and the like. And so we've loved the idea of crowdfunding because we love this idea of your community becoming owners in the business means that you get more advocates who can go out there and kind of tell your story, but also more people to learn from because if your most kind of um, interested customers get into the business, you can make sure that you're making the right um, things, definitely. that what you're doing is actually what they're after. But we haven't really liked the idea in the past of going out there and putting all your financials out and having to do all of that because, um, you know, everyone's so private in business and everyone's mm. projecting. Especially in fashion too, there's this real sort of, I think it's changing now, but the, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, sharing of information and no. like a lot of designers keep everything behind closed doors and everything's mm. great and everything's always wonderful. And, you know, it's been like, what is it really doing? Yeah. You know? And, and, and for us, like for the first time ever at the end of last year, things were, things were looking like the most positive they'd been financially. And um, also we had this new store opening that was a really great kind of um, opportunity and things were actually in a really good spot. And then COVID comes and our orders for next season, a lot of them were, um, you know, the, the stockists that we have, their stores aren't open. We can't yeah. send and orders to them. Like yeah. what's going to happen with basically this whole season? They're all nervous. They don't know. No one knows what's happening. No one wants to sort of take the rest of the orders, which is totally understandable. Which yeah. we understand their doors are closed. Yeah. So, you know, like wholesale is really disrupted this season. Like, like to, you know, we don't even know what the degree will be yet out of it. 
we've been closed for uh, for weeks, and um, you know, level two won't help retail stores either because no one can try on clothes and no one can go into them. So this whole season is kind of pretty much a write-off probably. And like lots of businesses and lots of people in fashion, we've made the clothes ahead of the season and then now we're not really going to sell them. So we've gone from being in quite a good spot to then having a whole season of make that we now have to sort out somehow and this new store opening. And so we just looked at that really honestly and went, shoot, Mm. you know, we just have to tell the story of like, if we um, bring more people into the company as um, shareholders then and raise this capital, we'll be able to pay down everything we need to and make it through the next year and come out of the stronger with a stronger community, um, innovate our website so we can launch a new website to help people shop in like the new ways that they will when they can't go into store so often yeah. and keep our team and keep being able to work locally and keep the industry, you That's know, right. keep, yeah, keep working keep in the run. industry. And so we went, well, if we go out and we sell our company and do this, we're a really viable company. And if we don't, things are really, really um, concerning. And I think Mm. there's a lot of fashion businesses and a lot of other businesses who are making that exact same um, kind of spreadsheet we did. And you look into the future and you look at your bills and you go, if Mm. we don't do something innovative and new, Mm. it's really hard to see how there can be a local industry. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, your your solution has is um, is pretty pretty simple, really, and it's um, it's been uh, housed on the pledgeme.co.nz website. Um, it's a solution whereby people can actually start buying shares in Poundstone's investments. Um, you've got not only a fashion company that operates within that, but also a cosmetics company because you've got um, beauty and and um, and cosmetics products that you've created as well. Um, tell us about some of the goals and maybe some ways that people can actually get involved from a nuts and bolts point of view. What are you asking of people um, and what are the benefits that can come with us and what are you hoping to be able to generate from this um, community-minded uh, investment? Yeah, well, we, we went out to the – so the Pledge Me people, they kind of tell you the, the playbook of how to run them. And they say the first thing you do is you go out to community and you say, hey, you know, this is our story. Would anyone be interested in being part of it? And the response we had back was just amazing. Like hundreds of messages mm, of support. Incredible. Hundreds of people yeah. indicating that they'd be interested to invest and to a level that would see the plan through. And so with that, we went, great, well, there's a real interest. Let's put together a plan that shows how we'll use capital we get in to bolster our working capital so we can make it through whatever the disruption period is going to be. But also fun things that will help us to kind of keep kind of uh, growing and doing well uh, into the future as we come out of this. And so that's the new website that's doing a new range of um, some of the staples across the Mm -hmm. year that people have loved at a more affordable price point. Because we think like, you you know, part of the accessibility is around price too. And so things like the Mio Top um, that was recently um, seen on the cover of Time, things like that, that uh, if we just do it for our store, we can sell at a um, maybe 20% less uh, than we otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. Um, make more of the hand cream tubes and the um, perfumes that spray, people yeah. re- really love, the spray spray perfumes. And those are all things that, you know, everything we do to invest in those things, they're New Zealand companies that are doing the website, New Zealand companies that are doing mm. the clothes making, New Zealand companies that are doing the production of our um, perfume and hand cream tubes and the like. So. Um, it's really getting stuff made that people love 
locally and being able to keep doing that. Mm. And what's, I mean, for some people, investments and shares, they're daunting words. Uh, you know, young fashion consumers especially probably don't think they're anywhere near uh, even having to look at portfolios of investments and that kind of thing. What are you asking of people financially? Like, can you, how, 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 how low can you come in on this thing? And, and then what, how do you scale it up? Yeah, so we do a mixture. Like, so the, the, the investment minimum is $250. And then people, uh, we do kind of the, the shares that people buy, but also some kind of reward benefit things that come with it. So at different levels of investment, there are different uh, incentives on top of owning the shares. And so the shares that are being sold are the same shares that everyone in the company has. So in the future, you know, where we project to get to profit in years that we do deliver dividends, anyone would have a share to the dividend. We're not projecting dividends in the short term because we are looking at like growth and, and kind of, you know, weathering the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so in the future, shareholders would have equal rights to any distribution of profits that the, the board um, delivers. But in the meantime, meantime, what we're doing is kind of, if someone invests um, a $2,000 package of shares, they then uh, qualify for a discount of um, 10% that is uh, ongoing. And if we have things on sale that they want to buy that are already off the recommended retail price by more than 10%, we give them an extra 5% of the sale mm. items and give them a perfume. So mm. there's kind of rewards as well as... Um, the shares and then they're in tiers, which is kind of the, the way that they normally do it on Pledge Me. And I think lots of people will be familiar with it because they would have heard of breweries, especially, mm. have done like yeah. Parrot Dog and um, Behemoth, um, Etique, which is the soap makers that get rid of plastic and just have the cardboard boxes around like the hard shampoos. They did one, and in vivo, uh, the wines have done one as well. And so lots of people maybe have had an experience of. Um, being able to get in there, they're really low minimums to become a shareholder and it's um, a really kind of like low impact way to get into company ownership. Mm. And so realistically, when you're thinking about people with disposable income, you know, that's a new pair of sneakers, that's a really nice dinner out with a friend or two, Uh, that might be a tenth of your gym membership for the year. You know, Mm. like realistically speaking, for the people who are are, um, indulging themselves in in buying nice things and they value their items and especially they they love and, and cherish New Zealand fashion and and, um, and and artists, this is not a big ask. You know, $250 to, to get in your foot in the door is um, that's, that's going to be a pretty simple thing for most people if they want to, again, put their money where their mouth is and support local. That's not a big ask. Maybe. I mean, I feel it's a massive responsibility every, every dollar that anyone <laughs> yeah. puts in. Like, um, yeah. And something that we take really, really seriously. Like it's, um, yeah, and the, the, the support we've had so far. So, you know, we've had a, you know, an amazing amount of pledges so far to the, the crowdfunding page, which is just like so heartening. But every single one of them is, it's a huge responsibility. Mm, like um, they become owners of the company. And what, what we've tried to do around that is that most crowdfunds um, that have recently happened through the platform, they have done a valuation that they work out like what price to kind of, you know, make the shares in proportion to the amount of the company being sold, that they've done it off. If we raise the money, we project that we're going to make this much revenue and we value our company based off four times that projection. And so we've looked at that and gone, we think it's 
something that we'd love to provide better value and be more investor friendly. And so we've done it on a basis of two times actual revenue. So it's way more than twice as um, investor favorable than the norms of the platform. Mm. And so we're trying to kind of like, as part of this community spirit, we're trying to provide it so it's like an equity crowdfund where you have small packages of shares so people can get involved um, without needing big kind of investment. Uh, but also it's, it's a bit more favorable to them than the norms of what that is. Uh, and we've been really inspired by Invivo and Atik especially who've done that and then delivered really good value to their crowds. Their companies have grown and become really valuable and been a good investment. So this mm. isn't, there is a community element, but we definitely want it to be a good investment into the long term because mm. that's how we'll have a good life for our children and that's how um, we'll deliver value for, for the community and that's how we'll keep local fashion and production mm. viable. Mm. And it's very much an idea, the way that you've described it, that's not only feathering your own nest. You know, you're very cognizant of the fact that, and I talked to someone in TV the other day who wanted to do a story about this because they knew just how far down the rabbit warren fashion goes. You know, it's 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 even thinking about the fabric suppliers and, and the person who's going to do your trims and your makers and, you know, Ingrid, you know, you as a designer and a pattern maker and the people that are working your business and your store and the part-timers and the courier drivers, mm-hmm. there's just so many little moving parts to this. When you see a, a top that, that may be wildly celebrated that Jacinda's worn on the cover of time, um, mm-hmm. there's so many different elements that have gone into making that. And wouldn't it be a special uh, gesture, not only for people to support you and, and get something back, hopefully in the future. It's not a get rich quick scheme by any by any stretch, no. but um, <laughs> it seems like an amazing opportunity for people to really invest in the future of New Zealand and in the future of New Zealand creativity, um, and to see some returns, but also to know that New Zealand companies can come out of this this time and and, and do okay. You know, um, yeah, like we've just been so heartened by the support, and it's a really unusual kind of. Uh, equity investment offer because we are going out and just being incredibly honest and saying, you know, there's a really difficult year ahead and this is um, about, you know, making it through that to then thrive into the future. Um, And and yeah, people have really kind of responded really well to that. And I think, you know, we've always been very honest and open in the business and, you know, people looking at the numbers and stuff will see that, like you say, like we've been really good for um, the general economy and it hasn't been anything that we've kind of drawn any profit out of um, ourselves and everything's gone back into the company and you know we do more than a million dollars a year in trade and that all just goes directly back out into the local industry into the rents we pay the wages we pay the suppliers we use Mm. and you know like that that's we're a small company and there's lots of fashion businesses who um, are probably pretty precarious right now uh, with 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 what's happened and you know it'd just be terrible to have um, you know, that that spending in the local economy and keeping the local industry going. So it's kind of a time where, you know, if there are things that you value and not, not just us, but, you know, the labels you love and the, the things that you enjoy in your life, it's like it's a real time where people have kind of got to choose what things they want to yeah. make it through. Mm. Yeah, I think that will be a very special moment for people and, and an important moment for people to choose what they actually value and double down on those choices and and just take a little bit of extra time to think about where they're spending their money and and how that's going to impact them and their community and their peers and and I hope that those choices resonate around the world and 
and fashion can benefit from that in, in a lot of other ways too. And we're just a tiny part of that. Like we're a small part of the local industry and we're not perfect and, you know, not the most ethical of anything. Like we, we're just trying I'm to do the, on that. <laughs> we're just trying to do the best we can and mm. what we're doing. And this is just like one honest story as part of the, um, as part of the local industry. So mm. yeah, there's, yeah, we're, we're all kind of on a journey to get better together, I think. Awesome. So how can people get involved? Where do they go and, and what do they do? Uh, they can head to, um, yeah, uh, to Pledge Me is the website and there's a campaign page there and there's an investment memorandum that you can download and read that has some of the um, the financials and the projections and uh, the risks and, you know, have a think and, and, and take advice. Like we really, you know, we're so grateful for everyone that is supporting and, you know, and, and then, yeah, and then through the Pledge Me platform, you can become a member of the platform and pledge and your pledge is only going to be called on if we hit our minimum. So the minimum that we're looking for is 200 as that will, according to our forecasts, get us through the next 18 months mm. um, of working capital and the like. Um, but if it doesn't reach that minimum, your pledge won't be called on. And so that's the kind of um, the, the trick of it there. Right. Well, I can see that you're already well past 10% of that minimum and, and how long have people got to pledge well, it's been up a day. I think it's nine, 19 days to go, yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, anyone who's listening out there, um, jump onto the website, pledgeme.co.nz. Look for the Pound Starns Investments and Ingrid Starns uh, in the search. And like Simon said, have a good read of it because it'll give you a really good understanding of, of the scale of some New Zealand fashion businesses, um, the, the time they've been around, what it's taken to grow them to this point. Um, and you'll get to understand more about the value of actually what it's going to take and what it means to keep these businesses thriving. So at least jump on the site, have a look around, talk to your friends, talk to your parents, talk to your wife and your husband. And um, like Ingrid said, get in touch with these guys. I'm sure that they will get back to you straight away. I'm sure they'll probably call you back and have a good old chinwag about what it really means to the, to the business and how they can get involved. And it shows you just the full transparency of some of the companies in New Zealand, and um, and I'm sure that it will be a pretty heartening moment to to help these guys reach that minimum and see their business thrive over the next couple of years. So, Ingrid and Simon, thanks so much again for sharing um, that with us today, and uh, we look forward to sharing this with our listeners. And we'll make sure there's all the the right links down underneath the podcast so they can um, click on it and and find out a little bit more about the Ingrid Starnes business. Uh, thanks, thanks so, so much, much, Murray. Thanks, Murray. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. Check out more of our episodes on your favorite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.